You're listening to the Real Foster Parents Podcast with Foster Together Colorado. Have you ever thought, I wish I could be a foster parent, but I just don't have the time? Or have you ever thought, I am not ready and I am not willing to be a foster parent, but I sure would love to do something that would be helpful? Well, today we have an answer. If you don't already know, Foster Together is running a Foster Neighbor Program, which is a volunteer matching program where we match one volunteer or one family with a foster or reunified family to do one simple thing, just to bring dinner once a month or a cooler full of freezer meals or some breakfast burritos or order a pizza for a foster family or a reunified family. And we ask them to do that once a month And the result is that that family has a little bit more attention for the kids, a little bit more emotional space to be empathetic on a hard day, and to do what those families need to do, which is help children heal. And this is one simple thing we can do to make sure that foster families and reunified families have the support that they need. Today we're specifically partnering with a new project up in the Thornton and North Glen area of Colorado up north of Denver, and they've asked us to help recruit eight foster neighbors, eight of our volunteers in that area, who will be willing to do that once a month to bring meals to these new emergency foster homes. And these foster homes are important because they are helping to buy time for the agencies as they try to find a really good fit long-term for the children that are coming into foster care. So whether that means they can go home sooner to their mom and dad, or they're finding grandparents, aunts, uncles, extended family, friends, who would be willing to keep the children as long as they need to, or if they need to find a great fit for a long-term foster home, perhaps even an adoptive home, that allows the county that time they need to find the right place for those children and often those larger sibling groups. And it, it will remove the necessity for one more move for those children by really vetting out what those children need to thrive and who's available that already knows and loves those kids. And we'd love to have you come and apply on the website. It's fostertogether.co slash homes for hope. Fostertogether.co, as in Colorado, slash H-O-M-E-S-F-O-R-H-O-P-E. Now let's get to the interview with Katie and Megan. So before we get into talking about the project, I wanted you both to introduce yourselves. Katie, will you talk a little bit about why you became a foster mom and what your life looks like right now? I would love to. So um, we became foster parents probably about two years ago now, maybe a little over two years now, um, and we love being foster parents. I know that sounds crazy, but it's absolutely the best job I could ever imagine me having. So I do get to stay home, which is a big blessing. Um, and the original reason we became foster parents is because of infertility, which is a lot of people's reasons why they do foster care or adoption. And um, so we started that journey, and I I can't even imagine it any different now in my life. Having We do not have any biological kids, but I can't imagine having them now. So because um, we have wonderful children, we do have a sibling group of four. And that's crazy to most people, but it's a blessed life. So we've been able to see them change. We've had them for over, I think it's been 19 months. So, but we got in it for reasons um, that are are originally our plan, but I wouldn't change it any other way now. So, yeah. so are these four the first 
placement that you had as a foster mom? They are not. We okay. actually had two more. Um, our first placement was two, uh, our sibling group was two. Mm-hmm. And um, they were, it was a little stressful because your first placement is always the hardest. Yeah. You don't know, you come in with expectations, you try not to go in with expectations, but you do have them. And mm-hmm. so it was hard at first, and they were very young. And, um, but we were able to actually see them go back to mom mm-hmm. and see them get to heal that relationship with her and her make huge progress as well. So we only actually had them for about, uh, four-ish months. So we didn't have them for a terribly long time, but it was a good first placement. And then right after that is when we started our next sibling group. So, mm-hmm. you know, and what a difference to have. Uh, at one time have four kids rather than what you were originally thinking before infertility, right? To have one at right. a time from newborn and you're getting all kinds of ages right from the get-go. But right. mm-hmm. but it's almost helpful to, I mean, you can say whether you agree with this or not, but in my experience, it's almost helpful to not have um, prior kids in the home because then you can just solely focus on that one sibling group and really integrating them into your family. You know, I would actually agree with that 100%. And mm. I, I, I told my husband, I was like, I am actually okay. You know, it would be a miracle if I got pregnant. But honestly, I am actually okay never having biological children just because mm. I don't know what that's like. And that's okay that I don't know what that's like because I, I love my children now. Yeah. So, and so I'm perfectly fine. I've heard people say before, you know, differences between having biological children. Not that that's wrong, but, mm-hmm. you know, it, sometimes it does feel different and, so I I am actually very thankful this is the way our family is. So yeah. yeah. Megan, will you tell us a little bit about your work with Nightlight and um, a little bit also about the main goal of the project Homes for Hope, which is what we at Foster Together are working with you on? Absolutely. So I have been the manager of Nightlight's uh, foster care and foster adoption program for. Oh, goodness. So the last four and a half years or so. Um, and so we we help uh, guide families through the journey to either foster children and go through that reunification process if that's possible. Or if it's not, we also have a foster adoption program. So helping kiddos find their forever families. Um, Homes for Hope is a brand new project that we're working on directly with Adams County. And we are Absolutely thrilled to be a part of it. I think as soon as we saw the initial proposal that was sent out to everyone, um, I know that I personally was like, we have to be a part of this. This is going to be such a good thing for kids coming into foster care for the first time. So Homes for Hope will be providing emergency, short-term safety, comfort, and care for Adams County's children. Um, it's designed to keep children in their schools and their community and together with their siblings until we can explore more long-term options for them. Um, as anyone who's involved in foster care now, um, children in, that are removed from unsafe situations, it can happen at all hours of the day. And it can be extremely difficult for caseworkers to find a foster family able to care for kiddos or take in a sibling set of four, for example, mm-hmm. at, say, 2 a.m. in the morning. So Homes for Hope will be that soft landing for these children and a place that the police, the county, can bring these children to immediately after removal. So our other hope and goal with this um, is to lessen that trauma and transitional phase as they enter foster care for the first time. Mm-hmm. I've heard stories about caseworkers saying that they have to sometimes keep the kids in the office with them as they're calling through the list, trying to find someone who says yes, and the kid's sitting there under the desk playing with a toy listening to all that go down. Um, Are those the kinds of situations that are happening 
without a home like this? Exactly. Yep. So, you know, some of these kids end up spending hours at the department building. And when you've just been removed from everything that you know, um, that's such a traumatic situation to go through. And so, again, we'll be able to give them that a place that we can say we have an opening for these kiddos. Um, mm-hmm. Another thing that we see is oftentimes if it's a large sibling group, we end up having to split them up. Maybe the younger kids will go in one home and the two older kids will go in a different home. And again, when you're being removed from everything that you know, um, it's so important to keep these kids together. And to keep them in their school, in their community, because sometimes, you know, the county will will take whatever they can get. And so sometimes that means moving these kids to a home that is an hour, two hours away from their community. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I've, I've heard several people talking about this project say that the children will be staying in their school of origin as often as possible, or is it mandatory that they have to stay in their school of origin? We will, yes, it will be mandatory that they stay in their school. We're trying mm-hmm. to um, reduce the number of uh, transitions and changes mm-hmm. in that child's life. Right, right. And sometimes those teachers are some of the most caring people that the kids might have in their daily life. So it would be best to keep them close to, you know, loving teachers, good friends, parents of friends, exactly. things like that. Yep, exactly. Well, tell us. Katie, a little bit about the importance of keeping siblings together, because you've done ITNI, you've lived that twice now, at least, from what I can hear from your story. And then um, Megan is talking about how this, one of the main um, incentives for having this program is that we won't have to say, okay, these kids got removed at 10 p.m., we only have an opening for one here, an opening for two here. And say, I mean, sometimes we have sibling groups of five and six and um and even more that uh, that don't need to be separated. Can you tell us about why it's important to keep those children together? Sure. So for us, our situation is different like everybody else's. Mm-hmm. Different. But um, we actually received our, all four of our kids at separate times, oh. which is, is, is interesting because I love this Homes for Hope because of this reason. So we actually received our oldest first, um, and who still is the oldest, he um, came in and he was alone. So we got um, our oldest from, and then about two weeks later, um, the county caseworker asked us to take um, the number three one. And um, we were able to take number three in uh, about two weeks after we got the oldest. Um, and then about a month later, because where they were at wasn't a good was it wasn't a good fit for them. Mm-hmm. Again, this is why this is a really important. And then about a month and a half to two months later, they asked us to take number two. And um, they just said there wasn't a good fit, same place that, that um, he was in. So we're like, okay. So we, we ended up getting all um, three of them. And then number four came several months later. Okay. But um, we actually ended up getting all, all of them at different times, which is kind of, I want to say kind of nice for us because we got time to adjust, but it's terrible for the kids. Mm-hmm. So because they came in at different times, but I got to see um, our oldest since we had him first. When his little siblings came in, it was really fun to see um, just how much they enjoyed each other. Like he would run around the house showing them, "These are our toys. This is our room." It was so exciting to him to have um, siblings there. So um, it was it was fun to watch that he was just light up. And then when number three came and um, the third one came. They both showed him, this is our backyard we get to play in, and this is our house and our toys, and they just light up when they got to have their siblings with them. 
Um, they do have such a special bond. Sometimes and they are so good to each other. I mean, sure, they're siblings. <laughs> they fight like siblings. But they just love being with each other. And they talk about our family and how much they love having brothers. In fact, they keep telling me they want more siblings. So, you know, just that joy of having someone grow up with you and be there with you and play with you is is great. And that they know these people from their birth, mainly not remember all their situation, but they at least know each other and have a bond, a similar bond to each other. So Yeah. The thing that I think hurts children in foster care so much is just feeling like they're not normal and they have nothing normal and they have nothing that's going to last. And, I mean, that's my opinion as an outsider. But I, um, it, it, it sounds like the children were placed, different places, um, because they had to be placed and they did not have someone willing to take all four or all six at the same time. And so then they kind of trickled into you as things fell apart in the other homes. Is that kind of what happened? That's it. That's it. They didn't have a yeah. place where they could put all six. So we took one and then the foster home they were in is just a little bit fit and that's happened. Um, so that's when the other two came to us slowly. So it all came yeah. very slowly. But, um, you know, it would have been, it would have been hard to have all four at once, but honestly, it would have been better for them all in the long run. But everything works out well. Right. It worked out well, but it would have been nice to have them stick together and be able to have uh, that bond. Mm-hmm. So then the idea, Megan, is that um, these homes, which might be called receiving homes in other language, right, or emergency foster care homes um, mm-hmm. that, that have a lot more space than the average foster home does, they can take them right off the bat, and then we can look more carefully, more diligently for a family like Katie who would say, hey, you have three, you have four, I can do that um, long-term, right? Exactly. Because this is meant to be a short-term thing. Exactly, yeah. It's basically going to give the county some breathing room that they mm-hmm. they need sometimes to find that right fit and long-term options. Um, you know, sometimes children are able to go back to their parents right away if we can put a safety plan in place or um, you know, there might be extended family or kin that are available, or we might need to find a more appropriate long-term foster home. But it will give the county up to about 90 days to determine what is that next best option, long-term option for these kids. Um, if it is a long-term foster home, um, finding the family that is going to be equipped to serve each specific child's needs. Um, and then with kids, sometimes there are grandparents who are incredibly appropriate and are able to care for the children, but they may not be available, you know, within a 24-hour notice. Or right. it might take the county a few days to even locate them in the first place. So right. it's just giving them a little bit more breathing room to find that long-term option. Yeah. I like the idea of taking down the – I mean, even though we call them emergency foster homes, taking down that panic that happens at the beginning mm-hmm. um, because I don't think really great decisions happen under that kind of circumstances, and we are all humans working in this system. So – Getting rid of the panic, keeping the urgency to get kids in a great place, but um, not with the panic and the, like, let's just get this done and get get it off our plate type of idea. Exactly. And one thing that is really great, too, about this is we've partnered with a local pediatric office, and 
some resource centers to ensure that the children are being seen by medical providers within 48 hours of placement. Mm -hmm. So we're going to be able to have the opportunity to identify right away what are these children's needs prior to their next move. So their medical needs, their dental needs, those will all be taken care of and any additional services that they might need, whether it's occupational or physical or speech therapy, speech therapy, we'll be able to identify those early on and address them and, and let the foster family know that is going to be that more long-term option. This is what this is what this kiddo needs moving forward. Yeah, I wrote one of my very first blog posts when I started Foster Together was about how um, my husband and I, we basically failed our first placement because we asked for a disruption or a, a I guess they call it 30-day notice. Um, within, I think, seven or eight weeks of them arriving. And mm-hmm. what I said in there was we were so naive and we just thought, um, oh, well, if, if, um, the county's telling us there's no behavioral needs, then let's go for it. How hard can this be? And we had a toddler and a, a kindergartner and, um, and, and then again with what I was saying with Katie, um, we did have our own, we did have our biological son already um, in the home, and so it, it did not work out well, and they were not – the way we interpreted the county saying there's no behavioral needs um, was very naive, and we should have just known, you know what, if kids are coming in with trauma, they're going to have some kind of reaction to that, and so why would we ever expect them not to? So we've learned a lot since then, but um, if I had a foster mom more experienced than me who said, yeah, I've had these kids for about four weeks, and here's what I'm seeing, and and then I could say, oh, I I don't know if that's going to work with my son, and then I wouldn't have had to necessitate another move for them um, because we were the first home after they got removed from their parents, and we weren't the last because we we couldn't handle them. And so, um, you know, that's one of those things that, if we can save kids from that and save foster parents from having to um, disrupt because they didn't have enough information going in, um, I think that'll be a really good thing. And I, I will say, like, a lot of that was just our naivete and our, um, uh, you know, how do you prepare for something like that, even with all the training we got from our agency. I appreciate you sharing that, too, because that can be a hard thing to share. Um, and sometimes that really burns people out, too. Like, you have maybe a rough first placement, a rough first transition, and um, it's emotionally attacking on everyone involved. And, you know, one feedback that we've gotten from people is this is just another placement for these kids, like another disruption mm-hmm. for them. But it really is meant to be that that safe haven of, okay, if we cannot find a home immediately for these kids, let's bring them the Homes for Hope. Give give everyone the time, again, to – because it's so hard for the county workers sometimes because they mm-hmm. are overworked and they have so many kids that they have to care for. Again, keeping that urgency up, but, like, give them that breathing room so that we can appropriately address all of the behaviors or needs that they have and really set up parents, the foster families, for success in the long term, too. Megan, you mentioned in some of our earlier conversations that a few of the people who have been on the team working on this project for the last four years grew up in foster care themselves or had at least part of their childhood involved with child welfare. And I wanted to hear more about how that has shaped this program and why it looks the way it does based on their input. Will you tell us about that? 
That is correct. So there have been officials in Adams County that have really spent the last four years working to come up with this program. And and part of it came from a situation a couple of years ago when it was a Thanksgiving day and there was a sibling set of two kiddos, ages two and four, um, that came into the system and needing needed a foster home. And they spent the entire day trying to find a home for them. And they searched from Fort Collins all the way down to Pueblo, and they were not able to find a home. And the county, you know, said that this is just not right. Like, this should not be the case for these kids. And so from that, this this idea was birthed. And it's been incredible um, to see how much intentionality and passion has has been a part of this project from the get-go. There are people involved in this project that were at one point in foster care themselves. And so I think that they're they're coming at this project from that lens. And it's created a really unique perspective. Um, Just for example, each house has a receiving area located in the front of the home where the child will enter the first time they arrive at one of the homes for hope. And it's going to give the family a designated space to meet the child, fill out any necessary paperwork with a caseworker, and get them situated before having them enter the actual house. Um, It will help keep the flow in the remainder of the home and prevent any disruptions in their routine. And it's also the only entrance that caseworkers and any um, law enforcement that need to be involved will be allowed in. So the children and the foster parents will have a separate family entrance every other time that they come into home so that each child really feels like this is a safe space, this is a home, not just a house. Mm -hmm. So it's just, it's been really, really inspiring, to be honest, just to see how enthusiastic everyone has been about this project. Just taking a half minute break here, halfway through the episode, to remind you all, if you are listening to this thinking, yes, I want to be a little part of helping these foster families and these children just coming into foster care, um, helping them to feel normal and helping them to feel like they've got space to heal and to connect and to play and to get to know each other, and for the siblings to feel a little bit more connected to each other you can be a foster neighbor for these two homes. We're looking for eight people to bring one meal a month to these homes. And if you want to do more than that, we will prepare you for that. We'll have a fun interactive live training. I'll be leading it up in the North Glen Thornton area. And it will be a tight group of people who are committed to these two homes. And we will be getting to know each other and forming a neighborhood, forming a community of support for these families and building some of the best friendships along the way. So it's fostertogether.co slash homes for hope if you'd like to sign up. Fostertogether.co as in Colorado slash H-O-M-E-S-F-O-R-H-O-P-E. Katie, I have two more questions for you, and I'll start with this one. First, who does it take to be a foster parent? Does it take a saint? Does it take a hero? Does it take someone with endless patience? Tell us what you think is the marker of a successful foster parent. Oh, sure. So I used to think that everyone could be a foster parent, everyone should be a foster parent, Um, but I have changed my thinking on that. Um, There's so many people out there that can be, that should be, or at least help, but not everyone should do it. It does take someone to look past what's happening in the moment, like your child is so upset, they're hitting, they're screaming, 
and look past that child and see this is a hurting child. I can look past their behavior and I can say, okay, how do I help this hurting child? Or how do I, you know, regulate myself to help this hurting child? And that takes a lot of work. And there's just so much more into it than just loving children, even though that's a huge part of it. It's there's so much more to it. And our life looks a lot different. We cannot parent the same way that everyone else parents, or we cannot do the same kind of discipline. We cannot do the same kind of actions. Our kid needs extra therapy. I mean, the amount of driving to therapy I've done in the past two years is a lot. (laughs) They have therapy every week. Um, All of my kids go to therapy. Then um, our first placement we had, they went um, to to um, about an hour drive every, twice no, it was twice a week, excuse me. So we had an hour drive to their um, their sessions, and then we had an hour drive home, plus the hour in between um, when they had their sessions. And so you're talking a lot of time out of the week, and that was twice a week. So just to have someone come along with you and say, emotionally, it's hard, and say, you know, just keep going, you're doing great. But also to have that help where, someone's there to say, hey, can I drive your kids today? I know there's more work into that to be able to do that, but just say, hey, how can I help you? What can I do to make your life so you can get a break easier? Um, Recently, I was talking to um, a foster mom, close foster mom friend of mine, and she told me, you know, her, she took on a sibling group as well, and she told me it was hard, and we were talking about how hard it was at the moment, and I looked at her, and I said, you know, it is really hard, right now, but I try really hard to remember that this is not the end, that I want fully functioning adult children who you would never know unless I told you they were in foster care or they were adopted and um, that they function normally, as normal as can be in our world and that they are successful in their own ways. And, you know, this isn't the end. Right now is not the end. The end goal is functioning adults. And this is, and I want to stop their cycle of um, this foster care. And, uh, you know, so that way when they have children, they're taking care of their children. And I want to stop this cycle for them because it's just a cycle. It keeps going from generation to generation. Yes, that long-term perspective is absolutely irreplaceable. In the, in the four foster placements that I've taken part in, I completely agree. And and we all want to see we all want to see I think that's why we start fostering because we want to see the breaking of that cycle. And it it does take so much more than just us willing it to happen and us even sticking with it for years. It it's their choices, it's their parents' choices, it's their um all of their predispositions that we may or may not be successful in the way we think we will, but I think that's all we can do is keep that long game in mind. I love that perspective. So here's my last question to you, Katie. It sounds like you're saying this is more than full-time effort, more than full-time. You're going 150% with your um, investment in these children in every single way and your hope for them. And I know that everybody listening to this is the kind of person who says, I want to support that too, even if they can't foster what are the, it's, it's like when, you know, you're going through something hard and your friend comes up to you and says, can I do anything? What can I do? And oftentimes it just feels like it's just survival right now. Thanks for thinking of us. I don't know what even to ask for, but it sounds like there are some things that could be really tangibly helpful to foster families like yours. Tell us about that. 
Um, when we first got our first foster kids, I don't even remember the first couple weeks. It was crazy. And I just remember thinking, I, I, don't, I didn't even think about cleaning my house. I didn't think about meals. I didn't think about the normal stuff you should do when you're a, a parent. But all I could think about was, I'm not getting any sleep. I'm up with these children halfway through the night. In fact, our first foster placement, um, one of the little children uh, woke up every two hours at night crying. And so for months, <laughs> I was up every two hours. And I do have a great husband, and he helped me, but it was hard. We were so tired. And so f- the house lacks, you know, responsibility around the house lacks. I didn't think about meals. My husband would run out and get food all the time because I was either too tired or I didn't plan ahead or for whatever reason. So it's nice when someone comes along and says, hey, let me give you a meal or let me help you out. Can I clean your dishes because your kitchen is a wreck? I took a picture one time in my kitchen because there was piles and piles of dishes. And so just having that help and support. And I am thankful we do have a good support system, but I know it's rare to have a great support system. And I'm thankful for the people that have come along and helped us. Um, but it's, it is a different life and you don't fully understand it unless you're part of it, but to be able to just encourage someone, it changes people's lives. I know, I know when I get a little note here and there from people saying, Hey, you know, I love you. I appreciate you. Or when people say you're doing great with those kids, um, we've seen a change in them and that encouragement just lifts your spirits and it just makes you feel like you can keep going. And so I am thankful for those things. And you know, it's hard because you do get them from scratch. For instance, none of our kids had any dental work done or they've never been to the dentist. They've never even been to the doctor. Um, so starting from scratch is hard, especially when they're older. You know, they could they could be 8, 9, 10 and never gone to school or never been to a doctor. So you're starting from scratch when you get these children. We did. And, and so um, it is challenging. There's a lot of different challenges. Um, so... I just appreciate support groups, and I know myself, I try to encourage my other foster moms, say, it's okay, you can keep doing this, you know, we've all, we've been there, we've done that, you can do it too, and just that emotional encouragement. Absolutely on point, Katie. I started the whole Foster Neighbor program because I saw how the support from my extended family changed the way I was able to thrive as a foster parent, Um, and you're right, not most foster parents don't have the kind of support that you and I have. And so it's up to the people who don't foster and who have that extra space in their lives to say, what can I do to help? And even better to say, hey, everybody needs to eat. I bet it would be helpful if I bring over a meal. And then all we do is really connect them with that foster family, especially through this Homes for Hope project. And it's buying that emotional energy for that parent, buying that emotional space and time and room to be empathetic and room to get through another tantrum or get through another week of just running around with medical visits and therapy appointments. And then this leads me to my question for Megan. Megan, what do you hope that the foster neighbors we're recruiting to volunteer with these families, what do you hope that they will do for these families? And why is it important specifically for these Homes for Hope emergency foster families to have this kind of support? Yeah, absolutely. I think you, both of you just pinpointed it so perfectly. Um, I think any, everyone who has been a foster parent, known a foster parent, worked with a foster parent, knows how hard and emotionally taxing it can be. Um, 
all foster parents need support. And actually, a strong support system is one of the number one predictors as to whether a foster parent will continue fostering year after year. And the task that we're asking these Homes for Hope foster parents is certainly not easy. Um, they're going to be the front lines for these children and take them in at their most vulnerable moment. And then they have to see them leave 30 to 90 days later. So it's, it's similar to traditional foster parenting, but also very different. Um, and we, we feel it's so important to be proactive and surround these uh, families with neighbors um, to, again, provide some of that tangible support, that emotional support to help them just continue to be encouraged and to know that this is worth it, that these kids are worth it. And, you know, I also believe this program is really about community. Um, we want to keep Adams County children within their community, within their schools, and that is going to set everyone up for success. Um, you know, these parents are going to be required, as you mentioned earlier, to transport the kids to their school of origin, which may be upwards to 30 to 50 miles away. Um, and so having people that can come in and provide some of that that support, and it sounds it, – it's so simple, right? Like, mm-hmm. cook – If can you cook a meal from time to time? Are you willing to do someone else's laundry? Can you provide some help with transportation? They're all really small things, but they can make such an incredibly meaningful impact for these foster families. And not everyone can foster, but I truly believe that everyone can do something. So I think this is a great way for the community to wrap around these kids and surround them with, with the love and everything that they need to thrive and be healthy. Megan, last question before we wrap up. I'm just thinking there might be someone listening who is saying, I'm hearing about the foster neighbor program, the volunteering, but what I really want to do is actually be one of these emergency foster parents and be a full-time living in these homes that you've got ready for the program and be ready to take large sibling groups and children in the middle of the night who need a safe and warm place to be until their long-term home is found. What would you say to that person who's thinking they might want to be a foster parent with your program? Mm-hmm. So above all else, we're really looking for people who are tenacious, they're teachable, they're adaptable, they're enthusiastic, and they're just passionate about wanting to be on the front lines of foster care. Um, they'll need to be flexible, both for the children's sake, and let's be honest, this is a new program, so it's definitely going to have its growing pains. Um, so we want someone who can work with us through that as well. Um, we do want to keep as many beds open for children as possible. So if it is um, a couple, there cannot be more than two children moving in with them. Ideally, we would love a seasoned foster parent or someone who has worked with foster children already in some sort of per- personal or professional setting. Um, It would also have to be someone that's willing to move into one of the homes on a full-time basis. Um, And we are um, open to both singles and couples, so if it is someone that will be a single, we are hoping that and wanting them to have a strong support system because, again, as we've talked about today, this is going to be a really rewarding but incredibly difficult task to take. So in addition to surrounding them with neighbors, we would also want them to have a really strong support system of their own. Thank you for listening to the Real Foster Parents podcast by Foster Together. This has been a special episode with the Homes for Hope project in Adams County in the North Glen and Thornton area. If you want more information about any part of the project, including being a foster parent, go to fostertogether.co slash homes for hope. See you there.